Kofkin Bond listeners, welcome back. Episode 95, we're getting closer to that 100 and we're coming up with a few thoughts on what we're going to do that, so stay tuned. Yeah, it was interesting. I actually had lunch today with Leo Mameso, who was one of the earlier podcasts, which was got magnificent traction. Leo's story is just unbelievable. And he was actually asking about the podcast. I said, he's actually one of the more popular podcasts that we actually did and one that we continually pump out to people because it was just so raw and real Yeah. Uh, in respect to not every successful business owner started as a successful business owner. And um, so he was, yeah, he, he was good. So we are coming up to episode number 100. Yeah. And I guess, look, that story with Leo sort of leads into a little bit to the conversation today yeah, um, yeah. and taking that investment into companies sort of beginning out or, or looking to expand. So uh, what are the two areas you're going to cover today? Well, basically, it's a case of, you know, we've had some clients in tw- over the last 25 years that have successfully sold businesses and like the idea of going and investing into other small businesses and have often asked how that should be done. And then, of course, on the other hand, we work with some, you know, very successful uh, venture capital firms, you know, not, not all of them, obviously, but um, how do they work and, and why do they work? And, aren't, you know, sometimes there's this thought process that they're just basically piranhas and will, you know, you know, not everything is Bobby Axel Rod of billions, so it's, um, but... The you know, but they basically seen or you know what do they do and things like that. So so we can talk from two perspectives. If you're either a client who is looking at investing, yeah. but then also the other hand, why would a venture capital firm or why would you consider a venture capital firm investing in you? Yeah. So let's start off. Is I've got the money and yeah. I want to go buying. Great to know that you got the money, Jamie. You've hidden, <laughs> that, wish, wealth. You've hidden that wealth from me. So let's say you've got a lazy 50 million hanging around. So it's um, the first thing I would suggest is that if you're going to go and invest any sum of money, it doesn't matter what it is, but if you're going to go and invest any sum of money into a startup, you know my adage in here because we've done it numerous times in businesses that we've purchased, uh, is that you, the old bullet versus uh, cannonball approach the, from the Jim Collins Good to Great book. Uh, really worth reading. Um, now, in saying that, though, let's say you've got that money and that's your net wealth, you're not going to invest all of that thinking this new thing is going to be the next Facebook. Yeah. Okay, so it's uh, we would all love to have invested in Facebook um, or Google or Amazon at the start, but that's not happened. Yeah. But also remember, too, though, a lot of those companies got their start and to where they are today because of VC money because of venture capital money. Uh, so somebody believed in the story and saw that with a bit of help, guidance and infrastructure um, around them, yes, that, that can actually... Now, I don't think any of those VC firms necessarily thought the likes of a Facebook or you know uh, Amazon's, uh, Jeff Bezos's family and all those actually thought that they would end up owning shares in the largest company in the world. Uh, you know, even Bill Gates, I'm sure, was shocked, and Paul Allen, who resigned from Microsoft but kept his shares. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, their wealth is just absolutely extraordinary. But a lot of these companies were, they only got to where they were because of venture capital money and having that correct guidance in the first place. And I think this is one of the misconceptions on venture capital money is that they're just piranhas to really come in, build it, rape it and pillage it, and then... Uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater as long as they make a substantial 10 times profit. That's, well, 
there are some of those around, but we know how to avoid them like the plague. Yep. So the first thing is, is you never go and pour all your money or a huge stake of your money into any one thing. And you know that even from our own investment philosophy. Yeah. We're so goddamn diversified, it's ridiculous, you know, at times. But we do that because we're not willing to take bets with other people's money. Uh, and that's why I think our largest holding in our growth fund at the moment is Microsoft's in about 2% of a portfolio. Yeah. Um, so then if you consider there's about 3,000 different exposures. So is diversification, uh, diversification within this money, is it different industries or it could it be the same industry just looking at different companies? Right. Magnificent question. Um, you usually find the, the, first of all, the venture capital funds that you see today, uh, you know, ones like, for example, run by Apex Capital or uh, Albert Impact Fund or, um, you know, even, for example, Steve Baxter, a lot of people know him from Shark Tank. They look at investing into companies that they know. They know that industry. Yeah. Uh, so they are very focused on where they invest their funds. And they invest that for, there's there's a whole host of things. First of all, they know that industry back to front. So if they're buying, they're not going to buy into a firm just on the belief that it could be good. It's a case of how, how can they add value to ensure that their investment is going to pay uh, down. And that's one of the most important things that people have to consider when looking at selling to a venture capital firm. That firm wants an exit plan. And that exit plan is usually, you know, somewhere within that five to seven year period. They know that by helping a company grow, there's not going to be much in the way of dividends because money gets reinvested for growth all the time. Yeah. But they're looking to capital gain. And these people too, the money they invest, they don't need a dividend to survive. They've actually got good cash flow and income elsewhere. And that's what we're talking about. You know, you never have all of your money uh, invested, you know, just in these yeah, maybe sometimes semi-mature mature businesses, but you just don't do that. Yeah. Um, so, so if you take um, Apex as an example, their focus is on fintech. Uh, if you take uh, Albert Impact, uh, their focus is on sustainability. Um, and if you take Steve Baxter, his focus is, well, he made his money in fintech, but his focus is certainly on technology. Uh, so there's no use going to him with a great idea to, you know, sell chicken snitchels. Um, so that's just not going to occur. So the basis of it is that when you're actually having a look at these, they do have a clear focus because that's what they know back to front. Yeah. It's like for example, you know, you've, you've been involved, you've seen two business purchases last year, it was in our industry. We know, we believe we know our industry better than anyone, but the purchases were in our industry. Yeah. Uh, and everyone had to win. And the first thing, the clients, because uh, if the clients aren't winning out of it, they're not going to stay. Secondly, uh, the person who bought the business has to say that's a fair and reasonable price. And thirdly, uh, it has to have a future for us to be able to buy that. Yeah. You know. So, and that's the same whether it be technology, whether it be sustainable investments. And you know, if you take for example Apex, they clearly state. We're not as interested in startups as what we are in a semi-mature business. In other words, you always already have to have a client base. I'm not going to invest in an idea. And as you know, when talking to uh, Rob Tagani last uh, week, you know, it's a case of don't come and say, you know, my the what we're going to do with this business, this uh, this idea is worth $300 million because right now it's worth nothing. Yeah. Um, and you might have your skill set in building that. Widget to that idea 
Yeah, but, and that's great because without your skill set, without Mark Zuckerberg's coding ability and brain, Facebook uh, would never have been invented. Well, it was a ripoff, of it, as we know, but it was a ripoff made better. Um, so, so basically, it was a case of that he saw something out there and he just made it better. Um, and, you know, and it was a dating app to start with. It was, it was about checking out girls and giving a rating. Uh, so that's originally, we, we all know the story of what it was for. But he had the ability to build that and that coding skills but to get the company to where it is today, he didn't have that. He got that money behind him, uh, the, the Winkle twins. He got the uh, money behind him uh, to be able to grow and get those people in who know how to run that business um, and know how to actually build it to that stage. So, so based on that, that's the idea. So a founder has to understand that if the company does go to a listing, and take Lars Lindstrom as the example from ReadCloud. Um, he was in our podcast about 15 podcasts ago, 20 podcasts ago. If you take Lars as that example, Lars founded uh, ReadCloud, was one of the uh, joint founders of ReadCloud. He only owns 10% of the company today. But that 10% of what he owns now, today the company on the ASX has a market cap of $110 million, I think, as of uh, yesterday. Anyway, closing business yesterday. Now, in saying that, when he brought it to the listing, it was only turning over $600,000. So he might have owned a more percentage basis back then, but he got co-investors involved. Then he got to sell that listing. He only owns 10% of the company today, but the 10% is worth quite a few dollars to him uh, right now. And it's obviously a very profitable business today. So he allowed the first people who were invested in though were co-investors yeah use of a better word they weren't actual venture capitalists but they were friends who had money uh, who believed in it and helped fund to get the business to where it is today and now by doing that they've all reaped the benefits yeah, so I guess they say, I think they say nine out of ten VCs fail. Um, uh, so no, not VCs, nine out of ten investments. Investments, yeah, so especially this is, in the US. Yeah, so this is where I was sort of going to make that point um, with you is how do we sort of navigate around that? Um, and you were talking before about sort of making investments into more mature companies. Yeah, so if you take, for example, uh, what we do with some businesses uh, is that, yeah, okay, you want to take this to a trade sale or you want to take this to a listing, Basically, it's five years in the making. You might be a company today turning over five or six million bucks, and that's fine. Uh, but to get to that stage where it's really worth your while to take it to that listing, so where you have realised some of your wealth, whether you're still working the business or not, you have to understand that you might not be the CEO of the business anymore when that occurs. Yeah. You have to understand that you might not be the chairman of that business uh, when it occurs. And the reason being is because you're dealing with a listed company now, not a proprietary limited, and most people still don't understand directors' responsibilities anyway. But it can be five years in the making to get it to that point. So although you're profitable now, and although you might be able to sell the business now for $10 million, ensuring that it is unbelievably set up over, say, that three to five years, and this is where VC will say, okay, if I'm going to come in now and I'm going to buy equity in you now, uh, and that equity would at least be 30% as an absolute minimum. You have to understand that they're buying as per the value of the business today. They're not buying as per the future value of the business yep. because they intend that future value of the business to being a lot higher. Secondly, they've got the capital 
to be able to inject into the business, to be able to actually fund the substantial growth of that business. So if in five years time at your growth level, you might have a $6 million EBIT, it's doubled in, it's doubled, yeah, but it's doubled in the space of that five years. Uh, with the VC, they're saying, that's fantastic. Uh, we're buying as per your value today, but in five years time with this and what we're doing here and how we're building this, we expect this to actually have an EBIT of $15 million. At that stage, that's worth a listing. That's potentially a you know eight to twelve times uh, multiple as part of listing. That now has it valued anywhere between 120 and 150 million dollars. You might own at that stage after the listing 40% of that business, which is far better than owning 100% of something worth five million yep. today. And you might be able to sell in the future. So. You have to also understand that when you're doing that, you are giving up some control and you have to make sure that you can work with these guys. And secondly, can these guys add value to the business, not just add dollars? Because if you're gonna do everything exactly the same, you just got more money in the bank, are you gonna get any different results? So they have to also be able to add value to you or you have to be very stern and very focused in what you do and report to them monthly of what's actually being done. If they're not, if they don't have, they might not have a day-to-day -day running, but I'd suggest that that type of investment they're gonna sit on the board. Yeah. And make sure that all of a sudden, oh, I've done my pay to 600 grand now, and that means I don't have to pay that out in dividends, and that's not gonna happen. So that's where the real difference lies. And there is a famous story, I don't know if it's true or folklore, but I'm gonna say it, it's about uh, Lindsay Fox. And Lindsay apparently had, uh, listed here, Fox, uh, listed it. Um, this was about 15 months after the listing. He came in and put an invoice. Oh, we know Lindsay likes a car uh, and a plane. Um, he came and put an invoice on his uh, PA's table and said, need to pay. They just bought a new Merc for 500 grand. Uh, this was in the mid 80s, nice car. And uh, she said, Lindsay, I can't pay that. We can't do that anymore. Uh, it's not your money. It's now listed company, shareholders money. And he goes, well, fine, they're listed company. <laughs> That was, I think, just prior to the 87 share market crash. So, <laughs> so he probably did well at it doing that and got to buy his car and keep control. Yeah. You know, so, and that's where, so if you look, if you look at things like that, then of course you call talking the other, the other end of the spectrum, the Solomon Lewis with their investments through, you know, their investment company, which is the, because they've got major investments in companies like Myers and groups like that. So a completely different end of the spectrum. But for our clients, we're talking about if you want VC money, you have to understand that you'll be given up control and you'll be answerable to someone else. I'm answerable to you. Uh, so I guess that's where the quote, like we have talked about the positives of investing into it and, and you know, from a, you, you're able to grow your business to be worth a lot more and that's the goal of it. But I guess this, these are the negatives that, you know, for someone that wants to keep their company private, um, they become answerable. Oh, if you're realistic, if you're, yeah, if you, if you own it yourself, you're yeah, only exactly. answerable to yourself. Yeah. Um, if you, you take on all the problems yourself, but you not, might not be able to reach that real end goal potential. So in other words, if you're looking at it being a five-year exit plan, I don't know if the VC is going to be so interested in what you're doing, but if you're looking, if it suits their purpose and their goals and their family values, 
on the things with these smaller VC firms, we always speak about, well, what's the family values in here? Because one day we'll be dealing with the next generation. Yeah. We'll be running this. So what are the actual family values that we need to incorporate? So your business has to, or and your personality has to match with their family values. Now, you can't be a mad drinker and smoker and drug user, and it doesn't matter how good your business is, if you're talking about uh, a family, which are very straight down the line. Uh, there's just... They might, you might have all those right, the business have all those right qualities. You guys are going to clash. Now, none of our clients are like that, obviously. Yeah. So it's, uh, but you see what I'm saying? You have to also be able to match with their values. Otherwise, your relationship is not going to work and it's going to be a wealth destruction for both parties rather than a wealth creation. So that's saying, though, that nine out of 10 VC investments fail. They're usually the smaller ones, not the bigger ones, even though some of the big ones still famously fail. Yeah. Take WeWorks as an example, basically funded fully by SoftBank to good old Adam Newman, what a nutter. Yeah. Uh, but in saying that, um, you know, SoftBank invested $60 billion into it, lost a lot virtually. So it's, uh, but they, they made far more than that from um, Alibaba. Yeah, so, but that, and that's an example of a very good um, VC firm that saw the opportunity in Alibaba, still probably didn't realise it was going to be as big as it is today. But secondly, probably made a wrong decision with WeWorks. Well, we all know they did. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess that's where, you know, that's the difference between investing in something that's an idea and a startup and your Facebooks or, as you said, making those smaller investments to diversify yourself um, into industries that you know um, and helping them support to go to grow them bigger. Yeah, I suppose just closing on this, um, I was reading in a book uh, by Bill Gates. Um, oh, I probably read this about 15 years ago, this book. I think it's still in our library in the office. No, I think I might know what you're talking about. Yeah, but um, he, he famous quote by Bill in there was, um, I'll call him Bill because I haven't met him personally, but I did it with <laughs> Mr. Gates. Uh, but the basis behind it is that he said, I once owned 50% of Microsoft and it was worth a million dollars. Today I only own 13% of it and it's worth a hell of a lot more. Um, and that's... You know, that's, that's, that was 15 years ago. Microsoft is probably worth about, probably would have been worth about 200 billion back then. 13% of that's not so bad. So Adam was one of the richest men, probably the richest man in the world at that stage. 15 years later, I think it's market cap is about 1.6 trillion. Not bad, not bad, Tony. Not bad at all. I would be happy to own 1% of that. Won't be greedy. Won't be greedy. <laughs> so, yeah. Tony, thanks for your time today and we'll, um, we'll catch up next week. Thank you for asking me about a topic that you know I'm very passionate about.